All righty, how's it going? Ooh, that's good. That's, that's very good to see you all. Um, yeah, if you guys are new, I hope you have an awesome time with us, and I hope this time now is helpful for you. And if you're here every week, it's always good to see you as well. Uh, my name's Jono as well, uh, so g'day. <laughs> all right. Well, the first verse of that passage there said this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, I reckon that sounds pretty nice. It's a, it's a pretty beautiful idea, really. We're freed from the law, like we saw last week, by Jesus. We can't earn our salvation. That's a free gift. So now don't use that freedom from Jesus to keep on sinning. Problem is, though, like even as I've thought about that verse just this week, as I've got ready for this talk, I feel like that's exactly what I find myself doing pretty often. I, I lust. I lie. I'm arrogant. Like a dog that goes back to its vomit to lick it up again, I keep on going back to my sin. It's a gross image, I'm sorry. That's what happens. See, I have been saved by Jesus. I know that's true. I love Jesus and I want to serve him. But too often, that's not what I end up doing in my life. That's not what happens. And even in the times where I do feel like I'm actually obeying God and doing what I should be doing, well, right at that moment, somewhere kind of in the back of my mind is this other desire to want and go and do the very thing that I know I shouldn't do, the very thing that I hate. That desire is still there in my heart all the time. So the question I want to ask tonight as we look at this passage is this. Is it actually possible to change as a Christian? See, we're saved by grace. We can have confidence that we're right with God. But in a year's time... Is there any reason to think that I'm going to be any different to what I'm like now? Can we change? Can we grow? Can we actually move forward in this sin that we get tangled up in? Now, let me just see if I can read your minds for a second. (laughs) I reckon if you've been a Christian for a while, you've been hanging around here for a while, you've been hearing the Bible for a while, um, I reckon you've already gone ahead and you've answered that question in your head and in your heart already before we've even looked at the passage tonight. Can I have a guess of what you're thinking in your head and in your heart? I reckon in your head, you're probably going like this. I know that I can change. I know that I should change. I mean, that's why Jesus saved me, because he can, you know, so to make me different. So I know that theoretically I can change and that I should even, right? You probably know that in your head. But in your heart, I wonder if you're like me and you're thinking like this. I probably won't. I know theoretically I can, but well, you also know that, I don't know, you don't have very good self-control. You know your history so far and what's happened in your life so far. Maybe you feel trapped in some sort of a specific struggle or a sin or whatever, and so you're left kind of going, I know that I should change, but I don't know, believe that I really will change. I reckon that's the way we operate. 
Hear tonight what God has to say to every single one of us. Look at verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I don't know if we know all the details of what that means exactly yet, but what you can see there is actually a promise from God. A promise that says with God's help you can change. And so tonight, God is saying to you, he's saying to me, I want to do a work in your life to grow you and change you. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're kind of here with us tonight, checking stuff out and and kind of just sussing out what all this is about. I want to say to you that, um, I want to say that everything that's said tonight isn't exactly going to be Um, relevant to you in every way, but I want to invite you to kind of watch and see what it's like to be a Christian as you hear the stuff in this passage tonight, so you can get a sense of what's on offer if you want to become a Christian. Because what's on offer is salvation and then a power to work in your life to actually change you and do something with where you're at, which is a pretty cool thing. So pay attention if you don't call Jesus, you're you're not a Christian. Now, this passage, I reckon, has got a bit of a surprise in it. So the first thing to see about change in this passage is that change comes when you're at war with yourself. Did you notice the the war in verse 17? Have a look in your Bibles there. Look at verse 17. It says, For the flesh... Now, this was actually read wrong, by the way. I'm not picking on Will, but we've got to hear this clearly. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh... They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. Those things are in conflict with each other. Now, there's some big words there, the spirit and the flesh and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, if you're a Christian, this verse is actually describing something that my guess is you already know to be true because you've experienced it in your life. There's a war going on. See, every single person in the world, Christian or not, has this thing called the sinful nature. In in my version here, it's called the flesh. The part of them that wants to do sin. The The very thing we know we shouldn't do, this part of us wants to go and do that. And if that weren't true, then this thing, sin, wouldn't be an experience that we all kind of know is, is true. But it is a true thing, it's there, and that's true for everyone, Christian or not. It's probably less obvious if you're not a Christian because you probably haven't ever tried to do anything but what it says. And so you wouldn't know it was there, it just seems normal to you. But it's there. But if you become a Christian, <clears throat> if you become a Christian, something new moves in. Verse 17 says it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God himself living in you. And all Christians have the Holy Spirit. And so now, for Christians, that is particularly, they've got these two competing desires living in them and they actually want opposite things. The flesh wants to sin, the spirit wants obedience to God and so there's a war going on inside of us. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Can I, I, oh man, this is entirely unconvincing now because I forgot my props. I only need two boxes. Everyone use your imagination super well because this was not planned out correctly. (laughs) Ordinarily, I'd have some sweet boxes and you'd be like, what's in the boxes? You know they're just empty cardboard boxes now, unfortunately. All right, I'm sorry about that. 
as going to be organised. But let me tell you a story. Tonight, I brought some cats and dogs to youth group, right? I brought them along. Two cats, one dog. And in fact, they're actually in these boxes right here, if you can use your imagination. <laughs> Very convincing. They're just in here, right? Okay, and so I've got these cats and these dogs in these boxes. Both boxes have got a cat. And that, and that, that, of course, represents the sinful part of us, right? The cats. And then one of these boxes have got, one of these boxes have got a dog in it. Now, which box do you think has got the cat and the dog? Well, let's check out this box first and kind of mic it up and... Okay, there's nothing going on. The cat could be asleep for a lot. I don't know. I definitely put it in there, but there's nothing going on. This box, however, it's like... And there's all sorts of stuff going on. <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff going on in the box. It's got the cat and the dog in it, which would be a lot more convincing if they were already organised ahead of time. All right. There's a fight going on in the box where you put the cat and the dog in there together because they don't get on. When they're hanging out in the same space, sparks are going to fly. The other one, well, it's just a cat asleep in a box. Every single person in this room does have a sinful nature. No matter who you are, Christian or not, you've got a sinful part of you, the flesh, the natural part of you. The Christians, it's like I'm going to cry, but I'm just losing my voice. (laughs) The Christians have got the Holy Spirit. Can someone grab me some water? That'd be heaps helpful. My water bottle's in my bag up the back near Scott there. Anyway. Every single person in this room has a sinful nature. The Christians have the Holy Spirit. And so the Christians are the ones who are going to experience this internal conflict. And so some days you're going to feel like, if you're a Christian, you're going to feel like Gollum from time to time. You know, you're going to be like, sin, me hates it. No, my precious, I love my sin. And and, and it's just going to be like that. That's going on in your head because you've got these two things at war with each other inside inside who you are. And so what does that mean for us? Well, I want to just say two things. First of all, don't be surprised that Christian life can actually be a pretty frustrating experience sometimes. Because it is. I remember being your age, and I remember being your age thinking, I'm never going to say things like, I remember being your age to teenagers, but I remember being your age, right? And I remember thinking, man, I can't wait to get old like my dad or my youth group leader or whatever, and kind of just grow out of being sinful, Sick of all these hormones and silly decisions, and it's going to be mad when I'm like old and not sinful anymore. But it doesn't happen. You won't grow out of being sinful. You're going to stay with this part of you there for the rest of your life. And that's frustrating. But secondly, it's worth noting that it's comforting when you understand this truth that there's this internal conflict in Christian life. Because sometimes, I've got to tell you, in my sinfulness and what I'm really like, somehow it feels like I'm extra messed up. Like all my other kind of semi-perfect Christian mates, they seem like they've got it together. And I probably seem like I've got it together, but I actually know what I'm really like. And I'm just like, man, I'm really sinful and they don't get it. I'm really torn as to how I want to live here. It doesn't seem like everyone else around me. This is saying that that's actually a normal Christian experience. It's not a good thing and it's not meant to validate our sin and our mistakes, but it is a normal Christian experience to to feel this conflict deep inside where you genuinely want two things. It's actually a sign that God's Spirit is alive and well in you if you feel this kind of conflict. The thing that you should be more worried about actually is whether if you're, if you're a person who's sitting there going, I don't feel any internal conflict about how I want to live. 
I'm fine. Well, the Bible says you've got a sinful nature. So the question is, why are you so comfortable just resting there with it? Now, if any of this raises questions for you guys, I reckon a really good thing is come and, come and talk to a leader tonight. Talk to me, talk to Luke, talk to one of your mates who brought you here. Talk to us about that stuff. Second thing, though, to see. I'm going to take a drink, and then we're going to see it. <coughs> oh, man, comedy of errors. Forgot my boxes, lost my voice. Oh, well. All right, second thing we're going to see tonight is this. Notice the battleground for change in these verses. Check it out, verses 19 to 23. Now, in these verses, they're basically, it's two lists, right? Two lists side by side. And together, they, they make up the battleground. On one hand, verses kind of 19 to 21, you've got what the sinful part of you wants, the sinful self, the flesh wants. And then verses 22 to 23, you've got the fruit that God wants to grow in you through his spirit, right? And these two lists are kind of in direct conflict with each other. And so this is where the fight happens. Have a look at the first list in verse 19. He starts by saying that the works of the flesh, man, they're obvious. It's pretty easy to see. And then I reckon you could kind of view it in four categories. He starts with the first group, misuse of sex, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Now, sexual morality is just using sex wrong. There's nothing too fancy about that. It's doing anything sexual with anyone who's not your husband or your wife. It's, it's homosexual sex. It's, it's pornography. That's, that's sexual morality. Impurity is just the opposite of purity, right? And so it could be talking about something to do with sex. It could be broader than that as well. Debauchery? Well, it sounds like something that pirates do in my mind. I always think of debauchery when I think of pirates, when I think of debauchery. But the gist of it's basically this. Debauchery is kind of like a blatant public enjoyment of sin. When really you should be ashamed, you're sitting there going, yep, this is how I roll, isn't this great? I'm just going to enjoy this publicly for everyone to see. Now, <clears throat> and I could spend the rest of the night just talking about those three ideas, I reckon. You guys, you know yourselves, you know what it's like to be a teenager. I could spend all night talking about those, just those three words right there. But, and if you're at fat with us, you've already had like the, you've already been embarrassed like to no end by some middle-aged Indian lady about those three words. So I'm not going to do that for the rest of the night, right? You can ask your friends about that if you want to know what that's about. But um, I'm not going to talk all night about it. But I want to say a few things. First thing is this. Pornography is a huge struggle for many of us here. Big struggle. And many of you are going to feel trapped in this sin and you're going to feel hopelessly addicted, like there's just no hope that anything's ever going to actually change. To you, I just want to say, listen to what the rest of this passage has to say. Because you're not hopeless. There is hope. You can change. Secondly, I want to just talk a little bit about debauchery, but not the type that pirates do. But that, that kind of public boasting in sin where you're like, yeah, that's right, this is who I am, isn't it great? When actually we should be ashamed of what we're doing there, debauchery. Now, be careful what you share and what you like on Facebook. If you're, I'm, I'm, just remember, guys, I'm talking to Christians here, right? Be with me on that. But be careful what you share and what you like on Facebook. Now, like, you want to just be careful what you're viewing on Facebook in general. But, man, I'm surprised at the things sometimes that Christians think is a good thing to share with the rest of the world and all their friends on Facebook. 
Be very careful about that. Another aspect of debauchery is this. What, what TV shows and movies do you consider entertainment but really God would call debauchery? It's a good question to ask. Now, I love TV shows and movies. Don't get me wrong. Like, I do like those things. But sometimes I reckon Christians can sit down and watch things and call it entertainment when really it should be something that we're ashamed of and, and should be running in the opposite direction of. And, you know... Pretty obvious example of something like that is, is Game of Thrones. That's just one example. So this isn't a sermon about Game of Thrones, right? But that, that's pretty obviously... Um, I've got non-Christian mates, right? They pretty much talk about Game of Thrones as being like, like softcore pornography with sword fighting thrown in. That's what they're talking about. Um, and it's, it's pretty clear among them. But then I talk to my Christian mates, some of whom do watch it, and they're like, oh, it's such a good storyline, blah, 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 therefore, you know, and, they, and we want to justify it. But in the end, what are we calling entertainment that really we should be calling debauchery? Not that we ever use the word debauchery, but you get the point. Second part of that list, sin through religion. Verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. Now, Following any other God other than the true God in Jesus is a rejection of God. And my guess is not many of you are tempted to kind of head off to some temple and make a sacrifice to another God or something like that. But I want to say this, in a time where it's pretty cool to be generally spiritual and be like, yeah, I'm into Jesus, but I'm also into Buddha and I'm also a bit into witchcraft and whatever else, and I just kind of, I'm generally spiritual. That, that attitude goes around. I meet those people all the time. Guys, don't be tempted to kind of in the name of political correctness, effectively go and worship other gods. Additionally, God, you know, this isn't a big thing for a lot of you, but don't get caught up in things like Ouija boards and, and, and occult stuff and all that kind of stuff. Run away from it. Leave it behind. Third part of that list, though, sin in relationships. Have a look at verse 20. See if you can see yourself here. Verse 20. Hatred. Oh, man, I just hate that person. <laughs> Discord. Well, me and her, we just don't get along. We never will. Jealousy, and, and then down the bottom it says envy. I just want what he has. Fits of rage. I was just so angry. It's not even my fault. I couldn't help myself. Selfish ambition, where it's all about you and what you want. Dissensions and factions, that's a funny word. It's when we kind of form our little groups as Christians, right? And we're like, those Christians over there, they believe this about this thing, but us Christians over here, we believe this about that thing. Or those Christians over there, they did this thing once, and us Christians, we didn't do that thing. And so because of that, we don't get on anymore. Now, that, that's dissensions and factions, right? You could, we could say a lot about all this stuff, but in the end, I think the thing you want to see is that all these sins in relationship here, <clears throat> it's the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit in verses 22 to 23. So you have a look at them side by side. Look at verse 22. Get the slide up as well. He says, Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of which flow from the first one, love. Brothers and sisters, how are we going at loving each other? Love is what should make us distinctive. When someone, and when an outsider comes on and just hangs out here for a night and joins us at EV Youth, they should walk away going, man, that place is full of people who really love each other. And they love me even though they don't even know me yet. That's what should make us distinctive as Christians, not that other stuff. 
Finally, the fourth part of the list, it's basically sin through partying, (laughs) drunkenness and orgies. Now, drunkenness, I think we get, we know what that means, but orgies, you're probably thinking, okay, orgies, all right, I'll make sure that I decline the next orgy that I get invited to, as if that's a a big problem that's going to happen for you. Maybe it is, I don't know. If it does happen, decline it. But... Sorry, I'm trying not to be funny on that second bit. But anyway, the word orgy, though, I think is a bit of a, a too narrow way to think about what he's talking about here. Basically, what he's talking about is he's saying drunkenness and the stupid stuff you do when you get drunk. And for these guys in this context, that did often mean orgies, but it, didn't, it doesn't only mean that. And so the point for us is this. When it's, when it's legal for you to drink, because until then you just shouldn't touch alcohol if you want to obey the law... When it is legal, be very careful with alcohol. God calls us to avoid drunkenness itself, but it doesn't stop there because drunkenness will lead to all sorts of stupid decisions and and things and mistakes you make. God calls us to stay away from both. So there's the battleground. Now, I want us to notice one last last thing from this list in the battleground here and then we're going to move on. But look at the end of verse 21 with me. Look at the end of verse 21. He says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this, list A, will not inherit the kingdom of God. What? (laughs) Now, that should strike you as a bit weird. The reason that should seem a little bit weird for you is we've just read three or four chapters in Galatians, right, for like the last, what is this, week eight, seven weeks, we've been looking at Galatians. And every week, the point is, you are saved 100% by what Jesus has done when he's died on the cross, not by what you do. And then here, he has this big list of stuff we shouldn't do, and he says, those who live like this, they're not going to heaven. (laughs) And even in just verse 17, he's just said, here's what Christian life looks like. It's conflict, sinful nature and the spirit side by side. If you live like this, you're not going to heaven. What? What's he saying there? He's not saying, he's not saying anyone who ever sins in any of these ways at any time, they're they're not going to heaven anymore because they've stuffed it or anything like that. What he's saying is that you'll know a tree by its fruit. Those who have been saved, those who are right with God... You'll know who they are by the fruit that they bear in time, the character of their life. He says those who live like this. And when he says that, he doesn't mean anyone who ever did anything like this or whatever. What he's saying is those who habitually make this the character of their life. This is how they live. I'm the guy who's drunk at parties every weekend because that's just how I roll, etc., etc. Those who live like this. And so Paul says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there is a warning for all of us to hear here, but don't go thinking that warning means you need to go and earn your salvation. You'll know a tree by its fruit. Now, I want you to do something for me here. For the last little bit of this talk, it's going to get a little bit interactive, all right? Not too interactive, but a little bit. Now, I need to say this again. If you're, if you're not a Christian, don't get too worried about the ins and outs about what we're about to talk about right now. What you need to worry about if you're not a Christian is this. 
Have you got grace yet and is your trust in Jesus? That's what you need to worry about. But this is still going to be pretty interesting, so tune in and listen up. But just realise I'm not talking directly to you if you're not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, I want you to have a look through those two lists there in verses uh, 21 through to, no, sorry, 19 through to 23. Look in those two lists and I want you to find at least one area where you know things need to change in your life personally. So look at your Bibles, open them up, look at those lists. If you didn't bring a Bible, look up on the screen here. And just think for a minute, what area do you most need to deal with right now? And don't kind of go for the easy fix. Don't be like, I'm going to work on witchcraft, I guess. Done. All right. Now grab the bull by the horns. Don't ignore the elephant in the room. There's two metaphors for you. Look at the list. Have a think. I'll give you a minute. Whatever it is that you kind of came up with as you looked at that list there, here's the next thing I want you to see in this passage. Whatever that sin or that struggle is that you've got in your head right now, Jesus has already died for it and it's already defeated if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, it's been dealt with before you've even done anything to change or grow or make yourself better or whatever it is, Jesus has beaten it. He's beaten it by paying for it with his life, by forgiving you, and by breaking its power over you. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's Christians, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What Paul's saying here is that, now some people take this as a command, make sure you go away and crucify the passions and desires and so on, but I think this verse is saying, no, no, this has already happened in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, it's like you've been stuck together with Jesus, united with Jesus, so that what happened to Jesus on the cross actually already, in a sense, happened to you. It's as if the sinful part of you that loves all this sin has already been pinned to a cross with Jesus 2,000 years ago and died with him there. It's a done thing. And so whatever the struggle is that you thought of from that list, whatever thing it was, whether it was one of them, whether it was the whole list, know that if you belong to Jesus, that sin is paid for, you're forgiven. It's dealt with, it's been crucified. And that's an unchanging fact. No matter what kind of a week you guys have had, whether you've had a really good week, where you feel like you're going really well as a Christian, a really crap week, whatever, that sin is already dealt with. I'll give you an example. You're standing with God, how God sees you, your forgiveness before God. It's like, a, it's like a surfboard for Christmas on Christmas morning, right? Imagine your dad's like heaps good at shaping surfboards or something. You walk down, downstairs and you just see a surfboard sitting there. It's a gift. It's free to, you. It's free to be taken by you. I'm getting choked up over that surfboard. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. It's like a free gift. You walk down, it's just sitting there, and you're like, Dad, I had no idea you were even shaping that thing for me, and it's just done. Forgiveness from God is like that. It's not 
a partnership between you and God. It's 100% God and 0% you. That's the first thing I want you to see about whatever it was that you were looking at from that list. But here's the second thing, whatever it was you're thinking of, here's the second thing to notice. Through God's Spirit, you can actually change. Now, all through this chapter, Paul's been talking about the Spirit. It's in every second verse. He says it in verse 16, verse 18, verse 25, says very similar things. And man, I was going to walk you through all those verses, but I just don't have time. So I just want you to go to one verse, go to verse 16, and I reckon this kind of sums it up for us. Look at verse 16. He says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You, Christian, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what does that mean? It's like, sweet, I'm going to walk by the Spirit, whatever that means. Um, There's a few things to note. The first thing is that the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6 is what? What is it? The sword of the Spirit. Wake up, what is it? Yeah, the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, is the Word of God. So the Spirit, somehow its work is tied up with God's Word, right, in the Bible. But I don't think it's just as simple as being like, all right, I'm going to read some of the Bible today, and I read that, that's good, now I'm walking by the Spirit, because I read the Bible. It's not as simple as just read the Bible and then you're walking by the Spirit. Here's what I think it does mean to walk by the Spirit. Listen up. Here's what it means to walk by the Spirit. It's actively living your life, moment by moment, day by day, with the mindset of the Spirit of God, which is shaped in you by the Word of God. It's a mouthful. I'm going to say it again. You ready? Walking by the Spirit is actively living moment by moment with a mindset that's shaped by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And so as you're walking through your day, you come along and you're like, Something's happening right in front of me here. What should I do? I've got two options. Walking by the Spirit is going, I know what the Spirit wants. He lives in me. I've heard his words speak to me through the Scriptures. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to walk with him, keep in step with him, and keep on going the way he's telling me to go. It's a partnership between you and God. The Spirit leads us and we walk with him. It's actually a command to do something and a command just to rely on God in this as well. So, like I said before, Christian forgiveness is like a surfboard that you just get for free on Christmas morning off your dad, right? But Christian change is like a surfboard that you shape together with your dad. Give you another scenario, right? Imagine your dad, he's still a mad surfboard shaper, um, but this time you're going to sit down and you're going to make a surfboard with your dad. You're going to do this thing with him. And so he's got a sweet workshop set up for you. He buys all the tools. He buys all the material. He brings you into the workshop and he spends days with you, shaping and carefully, painstakingly teaching you to make this surfboard with him. He doesn't kind of push you out of the way and just do it for you. He doesn't just go, there it is, and then leave you to you. No, no, together you're making this surfboard. And so the end result is this beautiful surfboard you make together, right? That's, that's growth in the Christian life. It's a partnership between you and God. Your forgiveness, your salvation, how God sees you, your standing with him is 100% God, 0% you, right? 
But Christian growth, as you change and grow as a person and deal with sin in your life, that's actually something that you and God do together as you walk by the Spirit. That's awesome. That's really cool. 